Hi everyone, David here from Project Daybreak uh, with a new episode uh, because normally we interview upcoming talents all around the world. But now we have a special talent, of course, and he's in the business already for a couple of years. But let him introduce himself. Hi, uh, my name is Ben Ward and I'm the singer of a band called Orange Goblin. Now, yeah, first of all, uh, Orange Goblin, of course, uh, you guys are on uh, for more than a decade now. Um, yeah, it's nearly two. Uh, I think we're into our 18th year this year. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely not newcomers to this. Um, <laughs> we've got plenty of experience and plenty of stories to tell. But, you know, we're, we're hanging in there and we're having more fun now than we've ever had. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, all, um, it's all good experience. Now, I think uh, perhaps it's a cliche question, but uh, where does the name Orange Goblin come from? Um, well, previously we'd had the, the name Our Haunted Kingdom, which was more suited to the music we made when we first started out, which was kind of more traditional English doom in the vein of early anathema, cathedral, paradise lost, and even a touch of my dying bride, that sort of thing. But as we sort of evolved, we, we incorporated a lot more traditional kind of Sabbath-influenced doom, bands like St. Vitus and Pentagram and Trouble. And obviously, with the Trouble influence came a, a love of sort of psychedelic music and the, the hard rock of the 1970s, so we wanted a name that reflected that. And one thing we realised, that a lot of our favourite bands all had a colour in their name. Mm -hmm. um, You'd look at Black Sabbath, Pink Floyd, Deep Purple, Blue Cheer, and we realised that Orange hadn't been used too often, so uh, <laughs> we chose Orange, and we were all big fans of um, Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and stuff like that, so uh, the Goblin thing struck us as a, a very heavy metal sort of character, and um, Orange Goblin was uh, a natural choice, and it seemed to, seemed to go down well. Now, I, I presume you must be thrilled with uh, the latest Hobbit movie then. Uh, have, you, have you guys seen it already? I haven't seen the new one, The Desolation of Smog, yet. I saw the first one. Okay. And, yeah, I was very impressed. I think, you know, Peter Jackson's proven that he, he does a great job with those movies. He did a brilliant job with the, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, so it's only natural that he would step up and do the Hobbit films as well. The only criticism I do have is that maybe... Doing it over three movies is, is drawing it out a little bit too much for a story like The Hobbit. I think he could have possibly done it in one or two, but um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of money to be made, so <laughs> people make Yeah, this is the movie business, of course. Yes. Now, I, I've, I've been told that um, you're, you guys also like Breaking Bad. Yes, massive fans. <laughs> yeah, very big fans. Because, um, you know, um, 
I've already read uh, some previous interviews uh, discussing uh, Breaking Bad, and uh, there's, it's also known that you guys uh, love zombie movies. So I presume, for example, Walking Dead, uh, you guys are also fans. Um, the zombie movie thing is more me. I'm the horror fan in the band, um, and I've, as I've watched the first series of Walking Walking Dead and. I enjoyed it, and then I got up to, I think it was about halfway through season two, to the point where I think they'd got a load of the zombies locked up in a barn, and um, yeah. then I kind of I kind of lost uh, lost my way with it, because we was away touring, and I kept missing episodes, so I haven't <laughs> seen it from there, really, oh, okay. so I've got a lot of catching up to do, because I've, what, what, what's it on now, is it season four or something? Um, yeah, I, I think it's season Three, uh, three or yeah, three or four. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Breaking Bad is the is the one show that all of us in the band are, are very keen on, and we were fortunate that when we were doing the US tour uh, at the end of last year, we um, we actually watched the final episode while we whilst we were in Albuquerque, so we thought that was quite fitting. We wanted to go and do the tour and visit Walter White's house, but we never got round to it in the end. Oh, that's too bad, of course. Now, uh, for you personally, where did it all start, the music? Did it start at a young age, or...? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, when I was at school, I was, was always interested in music, and, and obviously my parents' influence was was what got me into it. Um, <clears throat> my dad, particularly, he sort of brought me up on a, a stable diet of the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Kinks, and a lot of that good British 60s music. And um, and then when I went to school, I, I kind of got into indie music for a little while. Bands like the Smiths and even the Stone Roses towards the end of school. And it wasn't until around 1991 that I started to really get into heavy metal. So I guess I was kind of a late car. I missed the whole sort of thrash scene and, and all that. And then since then, I've, I've just sort of gone backwards, really. And my, <laughs> my music tastes have regressed right back to where it all started with the 60s and 70s hard rock. And is there a particular idol, uh, someone you looked up to when you were younger? Uh, when I was younger, I guess I'd have to say the Beatles. They were the band that, you know, stuck with me from a very young age. I remember sitting in the back of my dad's car and listening to things like Day in the Life and being absolutely blown away by it. And there was an equal amount of thrill from the music and an actual, actual sort of a fear of, of what, what they were singing about and things and you know it, it, it really struck a chord with me and I guess that's why it's you know it stuck with me because I've, I've always had that interest in in horror and the macabre as well so that, that comes across in heavy metal music as well. Now is it also a record from the Beatles that you bought for the very first time or you know your very first uh, single or record? Um, no actually the first single I ever bought was Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 by Pink Floyd. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's another classic. It's the week that I started school, and obviously the lyric, hey, teacher, leave those kids alone, stuff <laughs> me, so I really like that. And then the uh, first album I bought was, oh, God, I shouldn't really be telling you this. I think it was Adam and the Ants, Prince Charming. <laughs> <laughs> but why not? We've all had our sinful years, so... <laughs> <I> <laughs> 
Now, um, of course, uh, for you guys, uh, it's it changed a lot uh, with the release of your last album. Yes. Um, now, you went from uh, doing the music, uh, let's say, uh, besides the, the, the whole uh, job and, and, you know, wife, kids thing. And now you had the chance to go full-time musicians. Yep. Is it, is it a decision that came easily or...? Um, no, not at all. It was, a, it was a massive step for all of us. Um, it, we've actually been doing it pretty much exactly a year now. It was this time last year we all quit our jobs and decided to do the band. Um, and so far, so good. You know, we had a very busy year last year. Played 161 shows, 28 different countries. Um, went all over the world and um, had a great time doing it and played to a lot of people, played some great venues and big festivals played with a lot of uh, amazing bands and, and heroes of ours. So that's all, you know, they're, they're the positive sides of it. As you say, the, the, the hard hard part of it is being away from your family for so long and not having the guarantees that you have with a steady job about being able to pay your bills and, and pay your mortgage and school fees and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's, there's always a risk uh, attached yeah. to it. It, there is definitely it's a double-edged sword in the music business because we appreciate it. it could all all end tomorrow you know there's there's no guarantee that people are going to go out and buy orange goblin albums forever so we have to make sure that we've uh we've got something to fall back on i guess but um we we've all got very supporting families and when the opportunity arose last year they all encouraged us to to take the opportunity and go for it because you know this this sort of thing is something we've worked hard on you know for 18 years, we've given as much as we could to the band, and to be presented with the opportunity to do it for a living, no one wanted us to sort of have to turn it down. So we we decided to do it. it was, we're no spring chickens. We're all we're all getting older. I'll be 40 this year. So if I didn't do it now, then it'd, it'd be too late. A once in a lifetime opportunity. Exactly. Uh, now, of course, you guys toured uh, in, in the States. Um, is it actually for, for musicians the land, the promised land, the land of dreams? or Not at all. It's uh, the land of nightmares, <laughs> really. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's no disrespect to the US and the, and the people over there. It's just the country is so huge that you really have to work hard and you can, you can travel for months at a time. Hello? Yep. You still there? I'll just check because my computer went dark. <laughs> um, you can travel for, you know, days at a time and still be in the same state. And uh, when you have to tour the whole thing to try and get yourself established, you know, it's it's hard work. So we were getting there. We were, you know, playing shows one night, getting straight in the van, doing a 12-hour drive to the next city, loading in, setting up playing, pack down, another 12-hour drive. And you don't get to live the lifestyle that everyone thinks you do. There is no sort of glamorous, you know, the sex, drugs and rock and roll thing at all. It's it's, <laughs> it's very much a case of sitting in the back of the van and staring out of a window for a long time, trying to get sleep wherever you can. So, you know, we we appreciate that it was always going to be like that. You know, it's, it's 
a well-known fact that America's the hardest place in the world to break. We've been spoiled in Europe, I guess, the last 15 or so years that we've been well established here. And when we've, when we've toured Europe, we've been well looked after and people know who we are when we turn up. In America, it's not always like that. That said, you know, we had, we had some good times over there as well. The, don't get me wrong, it's, it's well worth doing and it's it's something you have to go through to appreciate the highs, I suppose. In New York and LA and Chicago, places like that, we had really good crowds turning up. So, you know, it was it was worthwhile and we're, we're looking forward to going back and, and giving it another crack as well. That sounds very nice, of course. Um, I just had, a, yesterday I had an interview with a producer from the States yeah. and he told me that um, the crowd the crowds, the audience in, in the States and in Europe are completely different. You get some love, of course, in the States, but in Europe, uh, everyone is really into the music, into the style, appreciating the effort you're going, you're doing it. Yeah, uh, I kind of agree with that. There's, um, I don't know, the European crowds are a lot more liberal in letting themselves go, I think. They, uh, they have this, this attitude in Europe that, They've paid their money for their ticket and they're going to the show and they're going to have a good time no matter what. Whereas in in America, I think everyone is there and it's it's a case of like, right, I'm here, I've paid my money, impress me, show me what you've got. And um, that that can be a little bit intimidating mm -hmm. if, you, if you're not expecting it in some places. But you know, we we've been doing this long enough now to appreciate that. You know, you've got to, you've got to know how to work a crowd and and how to get them on side and that sort of thing. So we see it as a challenge now, and we kind of enjoy it. And like I say, in some of the bigger cities, we've we've played there quite a few times now. This was our sixth or seventh US tour, so we kind of knew what to expect, and we've built up fan bases in a few of those areas. So it weren't too bad at all. But yeah, there, there is definitely a, a stark difference between the US and Europe on the whole. Now, producing your, your last album took about uh, five years in total. Um, do you think bands nowadays should really take the time to create something unique, something new? Um, I guess there's uh, arguments for and against that. Um, some bands, I think, that have just been um, guilty of churning out the same old same old stuff over and over again, I think might might benefit them to take a step back and um, reconsider their options and maybe try a different approach. But then other bands that have consistently turned out good stuff and find that it works for them like that, then I guess, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to sort of stop the momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I mean, for example, my, the, the, the example I always go back to is Motorhead because They've been established now for the best part of 30-odd years, and nobody does what they do better than them to this day. And their their thing has always been every two years there's a new album, and it's, you know, that whole album tour cycle. So they're, they're in that routine, and I still think they're an inspiration to, to bands like us. I think that five-year gap for our last album was more to do with the fact that 
as we've said before, we we weren't doing the band full time. We were we all had jobs to take care of. A couple of the guys in the band they became fathers again and wanted to spend time at home bringing up their children. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the band was more of a hobby to us then, and we didn't really give much thought to to whether we were going to actually even record a new album. It was only when the record label started to say, "Oh, come on, you might as well give it a crack." So we said, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> and uh, we did a did a US tour in 2011, um, and that was a lot more successful than we thought it'd be. And it kind of gave us the uh, the encouragement to to go and start working on a new record. And then, like you said, this eulogy for the dam has has completely surpassed all of our expectations. We were all taken completely by surprise with the success that we've had with it. And I think now, because it's become our job, we appreciate that we've got to consistently put out new products. So there's always something for us to go and tour. There's always something new for the fans to keep them interested. So it it won't be a five-year gap. In fact, you know, we're, well, I can tell you for a fact that we're going into the studio to start writing the new record tomorrow. It's our first rehearsal of the year, and it all starts now. So, Oh, that's uh, ni- nice to hear, because I think a lot of people are looking forward, uh, of course, uh, to you guys, uh, even here in Belgium. Yeah. Um, now, um, we know you're coming for Grass Pop uh, in June. Yeah, can't wait. Um, you know that there are about 130,000 people last year uh, that yeah. came to Graspop. Uh, do you know already some of your co-bands performing? Or? Uh, I'm not sure which day they're playing, but I know some of the other bands that have been announced are Black Sabbath, and yeah. Soundgarden, Carcass and Wasp and Opeth, Unida, there's Neurosis and Graveyard. So it's going to be a fantastic weekend of music, and um, we're just we're just completely over the moon and honoured to be a part of it. I can imagine that uh, you know for all all, all fans uh, they're going to have one hell of a weekend, and yeah. of course you guys too. I, I presume uh, performing uh, together on stage for a lot of people. Um, now, yeah. for you guys, you've been on it for for 18 years now. Um, you must have noticed uh, the difference uh, the, the social media coming up now, and yeah, like say uh, 18 years ago, there wasn't even oh, a social media. Yes. So, it's it's a lot easier for bands these days that are starting out to to spread the spread the word of their music. You know, it's um, back when we started, it was still a case of tape trading and writing letters and sending demos to people and that sort of thing. And there was no such thing as social networking. So we uh, <laughs> we appreciate that. You know, it's it's a good way for bands to get their get themselves out there these days. A young band can can record three songs in a studio and put them up on the internet and all of a sudden they, they've got them played across the world and can build up a fan base a lot quicker than, than we could back then. But it's um, it's also, you know, I've not so much social networking, but the technology is also, you know, a, a backward step for, for musicians as well because a lot of a lot of people bootleg your material and there's pirate copies of albums getting getting put up on the internet. And it's it's 
stopping people from actually going out and buying physical copies of the record. Which yeah, but you know, it's, it's, it's a changing world, a changing music business. It is, um, yeah. I've always heard that um, the best point to, to counteract uh, the you know, illegal downloads, things like that, yeah. is, is having a band which has amazing live performances. So people don't care about uh, downloading the MP3s because they want to see exactly. the band they live. Need to go and see the band, and that's that's it's, it's almost gone full circle because you know when you we go back to the likes of Elvis and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis and those guys, and when they first started making rock and roll at Sun Studios, they earned their money from getting on the road, and they would be driving and playing shows every night, maybe two or three shows a day in some in some cases, and it, that's what bands have to do again now to in order to survive you've got to get out there and you've got to play shows and you've got to sell merchandise so uh you know you can't rely on record sales anymore so you know we we're we're, we're happy with how things turned out like i say i appreciate that the uh technology technology has has benefited music in so many ways that you, you can't even begin to imagine but you know it's We, we also acknowledge that we have to be out there on the road and selling our shirts every night to, to make a, a decent living. Mm -hmm. Now, of course... Um For Project Daybreak, we interview a lot of upcoming talents. Um, for example, we had King His, uh, who performed on Raspop last year, which is a Belgian band, also Stoner Rock. Right. Um, do you guys have any pointers, suggestions for all those upcoming talents? Um, what makes a band unique? What makes a band uh, yeah, giving a shot at uh, international success, even <coughs> national success? Um, I think... Our, our main sort of thing, our advice that we could give is that you've got to stick at it. <laughs> you've got to be, you've got to be um, enthusiastic about what you do. You've got to believe in the music you're making, and you've got to, you've got to make sure it's fun. If you're not having fun doing it, then there's no point in doing it at all. You know, the mu music is a, a form of entertainment. You're there to entertain people, so you've got to make it fun, and. Um, Yeah, the one thing that we've always done is we, we we never sort of pampered to to what the mainstream wants to hear. We've always just made the the music that the four members of the band totally want to hear. You know, if if Orange Goblin didn't exist, I'd want to hear a band like Orange Goblin. So, you know, we're, we're totally into what we're doing, and and that's that's the best advice I think I could probably give. So it's sticking to your own identity. Yeah, just just doing what you want to do. Don't be influenced by anybody else. And like I say, I, the most important thing is to keep enjoying it. If you're not enjoying it, it's time to go and find a job working in a bank or something. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, of course, I, I see we're already up to the 20 minutes now, and we don't want to make it uh, too long for our listeners. Okay. Um, now, we'll put all links, of course, for your website, Facebook page, and all social media that we can find you on. Now, um, of course, we from Project Daybreak wish you the best of luck on Graspop and all other performances coming this year. Thank you. And uh, perhaps we'll see each other uh, at Graspop itself uh, because yes, we'll definitely. be tripping around there uh, too. 
we're, we're trying to arrange to meet up and have a beer together. Okay, that sounds we, nice. We discussed <laughs> okay, that's okay. <laughs> and perhaps uh, we can convince the others uh, to watch The Walking Dead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but thanks again for your time, and uh, I, I wish you a very... Thank you, David. Okay, bye-bye. Cheers, bye-bye.